Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Cancer. My name is Kerry Adams and I'm the CEO of the Union for International Cancer Control. Recently, just ahead of World Cancer Day, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC, released new estimates for the number of new cancer cases and cancer-related deaths that occurred in 2022 in 185 countries or territories around the world, as well as by cancer type. These statistics are vital for our understanding of the global burden of cancer and guiding public health policies and interventions. These news figures indicate that we are making progress in detecting and treating cancer, as the number of deaths due to cancer has dropped slightly since 2020, and fewer people risk dying from the disease in their lifetime, one in nine in men and one in 12 in women in 2022, versus one in eight and one in 11 in 2018. However, we are continuing to see a rise in the number of new cases and also a significant disparity between high, middle and low income countries, with the latter accounting for a significant proportion of the number of deaths due to cancer. Many of these preventable and treatable if detected early enough and with access to life-saving treatment. With us today to dive into these new estimates and what they mean for cancer control around the world is Isabel Suyamataram researcher and epidemiologist at IARC, whose work primarily focuses on the analysis and interpretation of these global cancer figures. Well, it's great having someone from IARC, so thank you very much. It's an organization that you know, many UICC members around the world and others admire for the great work that you and the team do in Lyon in France. So let's talk about the new estimates for the future, uh, the number of deaths in cancer and uh, number of cases. Uh, so what does the new report tell us? So we just released now the new report, the new estimates on global cancer statistics. And then we estimated that about 20 million new cancer cases were diagnosed in 2022. And then about 9.7 million deaths were diagnosed in 2022. Just to make it into a simpler language, so about one in five person will be diagnosed with the cancer. But then in terms of death, it's a bit less, one in nine for men or one in 12 will die from the disease. Is that a, a change, a dramatic change since the last time you measured the, the numbers? So usually we don't compare the data because then in order to estimate this data, what we do is then we improve the estimates and the data that we use to kind of then estimate the data. But if we're just looking into kind of progress around the world based on data that we have on long term, there are good news and good, bad news. Uh, in terms of the good news, cancer deaths are decreasing in a lot of higher income countries or stable. But then the bad news is then the inequity, which is, I think, resonates a lot to a lot of, of that you, your work you do in UICC. In lower middle income countries, we see much less progress than what we saw in higher income countries. And I understand there's been some shifts around with regard to the cancers, which are uh, number one and two in your data, um, a change from breast cancer being the number one in terms of diagnosed around the world to actually being lung cancer now. Can you, can you explain why that's happened? 
So lung cancer and breast cancer, they're both on the top of the scale. Um, in our newest estimation, lung cancer is now on the top. So overall, lung cancer is number one in terms of the most diagnosed cancer. Number second is breast and followed by colorectal cancer. And then before previously, as you mentioned, we saw breast cancer being more important. But then if we're looking at the importance, they're not so different. Yeah. So just making it this more into kind of statistical number back again. For lung cancer, 12% of all cancer I, uh, that were diagnosed were lung cancer. While then for breast cancer, it's 11.6, which is very close to lung cancer. You mentioned the difference between high income and lower middle income country. This is something which has been well, it's been important for UICC for decades. Um, and one of the reasons why UIC was formed in the first place back in 1933. But over the last three years, we've really highlighted that challenge through World Cancer Day and the you know, Close the Care Gap campaign. So what are your findings in that respect? I mean, it, is, it, it, is it something that uh, you think is getting worse or are we making progress in addressing the challenges that we see between high middle and low income countries and even within countries as well it's true from every aspects of the cancer continuum uh, even from the cancer data itself so but just to pick up then one particular example for breast cancer so this is then one of the most common cancer if we're looking into very high income countries um, one in 12 women will be diagnosed uh, with breast cancer in their lifetime. So if there's a room with 12 women, one of them will be diagnosed with uh, breast cancer in high-income countries. So that's quite a lot. But then if we see how many of women will die from breast cancer in high-income countries, you need then to fill a room with 70, 71 women uh, in high-income countries, and one of them will die from it, from it. If we compare this then to a lower-income setting countries, so one in 27 women, so much less in terms of the risk, but then if you see how many of them will die from breast cancer, it's then one in 48. So compare one in 17 high-income countries to one in 48 in low- and middle-income countries dying from breast cancer. And we know the treatment. We know really well how to early diagnose the cancer. We know really well how to treat the ca this cancer. So what UICC have been pointing out in terms of inequity, gap in cancer care can't be more true today. You work very closely with the WHO, World Health Organization. In fact, IARC is part of WHO. And the differences between the two organizations are quite stark. I mean, you do the data, you do the you know, analysis of the risk factors, and then WHO conducts you know, discussions with member states around the world to come up with recommendations and policies. Uh, are you seeing uh, much progress in the in the in the way in which member states are, are taking on those best buys as they call them. I mean, for, for example, you look at uh, breast cancer. You just mentioned there. There are lots of breast cancer best buys that WHO recommends, but are they really having an impact? There's quite a long list of best buys, and then these are really then um, interventions that we know work and have been also shown cost effective. There are 
resources constraint if we're talking about it. But then when building into this, and this is also then have been mentioned a lot, it's not only about resources, but it's also about political willingness. Then I always think before there is a political willingness, there's the need for awareness. And before that awareness is there, we need data. Uh, I think we are better and better into communicating cancer and the problematic and I think the awareness are also increasing. At the moment, what we need is then really that political willingness. And then I think it's never been before cancer more important in the global agenda. So I think we're almost there. Uh, it's just a matter of implementing this. And then no one says that we should implement it all at once, right? It can be also in the stepwise changes. You mentioned data, of course, and uh, IARC has been leading on the what they call the GICR program for many years, and uh, we've supported that as UITC. Data, data, data. We need to know the situation. Um, it is important for a whole host of reasons, not least because of politicians needing to know what's going on in their country. Um, how well are we doing on data collection? Do you feel that we are making progress as well? Because that's critical if we want to understand what to do next. GICR uh, is the global initiative on cancer registries. And indeed, I think with UICC, since its inception in 2011, which is now 13 years, has always been the partner, our partner in this global collaboration. So it is really then an initiative to improve uh, the coverage and the quality of cancer registries around the world that collect this data that we're using to estimate the global statistics. Well, first, the awareness, it's increasing. Before, we started with several then major global organizations to support this work. Now we have country local leads. We have uh, expert trainers that are then based in a lot of different countries. So we have seen a lot of improvement. But that said, there are still inequities, and then we're not only looking at inequities in cancer care, but we also see inequities in cancer data. Uh, only one in three global cancer mortality statistics are covered um, in countries. So one in three countries globally have high good quality cancer mortality data. And that two that are missing are mainly in low and middle income countries. And without it, you really can then build your cancer control plan, increase awareness, etc., etc. So Putting then our attention more in low and middle income countries is really key to make a more equitable at the end than cancer care and cancer plan. Those numbers help those countries, obviously, and also international organizations who want to help like UICC. They also, I guess, go into the engine for you to make your forecasts in the longer term on where we're going. As the latest set of data changed any of your views about the longer term? Are we still going to see you know, a significant rise in cancer cases in the next 20 years? Um, and what about cancer morbidity as well? Where are you on that? Uh, I think this is one of them, the scariest information that one can imagine because cancer cases, they're not going to go down as well as cancer mortality, we're not looking that there's going to be major decreases in the future. If we're looking then into the future, the next 25 years, 
just based on the data that we have today, we're expecting a rise of over 70%. I mean, this is almost doubling the cancer incidence we have today. So we, we see 20 million, and then in the next 25 um, years in the future, so 2050, we're going to expect 35 million, so 15 million cases more to diagnose, to treat, imagine than the human resources you need, and not only that, yeah? So they're growing um, importantly. And then if we see proportionally, that rise, that increase, is then largest in low- and middle-income countries again. So if we're not doing something today to kind of then uh, prevent or then look into then what's going to happen in the future. We're, we're just going to look into then a big, big, big catastrophic uh, event. The um, drivers for that presumably is mostly population increase and aging. Would that be right? So the big driver is population, as you mentioned, and aging. Um, in terms of higher income countries, we're reaching a point where then um, the population ages, but then it's not as fast as, as what we are seeing in low and middle income countries, where then you expect then cancer cases to increase with it. Um, how do you assess, for example, the growing obesity burden affecting the numbers going forward or tobacco use, etc., etc. Risk factors, they continue to be important and predictor to this rise. Um, obesity is still increasing. They're becoming, uh, there's not really major changes if we're seeing them in terms of then the obesity epidemic. Tobacco, we're doing really a lot on it, but that said, uh, the improvement have been slow, and then it causes almost 15% of all cancer in the world. So doing something about those two ma major risk factors can do a lot in terms of reducing future burden. And that messaging needs to go down to countries as well as being a broader message from yourself and uh, links back to what we said about Best Buys because they're all included in the Best Buys uh, from the World Health Organization, which are you know provided to member states around the world. I'm interested in your perspective on low middle income countries, because as you said there, it's 70% of cancer deaths and potentially 70% of the growth in the future. Um, have you any particular views on what the international community should be doing with regard to that? And anything that IARC or WHO could do to you know, bring you know, strength of argument to countries to, for example, invest in universal health coverage and to make sure cancer is included in that decision? Um, any views on that, uh, Isabel? I think one thing then to realize, I can imagine that the um, view of cancer can be over, I mean, the perspective of cancer can be overwhelming in a country, especially where then they are faced with multiple burden and multiple diseases. But in terms of cancer, I think there's quite a lot of global, regional activities and movements with and then there are also tools to really then do real changes within the countries. I was just going through into your report that you recently published on the inequity. Well, then there are, I think there are then a list of nine uh, steps that country can do, but there's quite a lot of example and real live examples from each of the regions, so then really context relevant that country can pick up 
and then do something about it for their own countries and not doing this alone across then uh, different governmental institutions, but beyond that civil society. And I think here UICC have an important role realizing that countries are not alone in this and then working collaborati collaboratively with others are then major steps that country can take uh, moving forward. It does feel like a big challenge and a big problem and often very scary um, to address cancer. But as you quite rightly say, there are baby steps that can be taken on the key risk factors and also on early detection. And of course, early detection leads to cheaper, more effective treatment and care. Um, often when we're in discussions with governments, they think about cancer as a disease rather than potentially an economic problem or the financial consequences of cancer, the need to invest in health infrastructure, which maybe they don't do if they focused on prevention. Does IARC uh, do anything in that space on the financial side or any recommendations in that space? Um, and is it included in your, your, your analysis going forward? Mm, um, so the whole economic and financial costs of cancer has become a major interest of many. So not only IARC, but IARC today has uh, really then one group that's now moving forward to try then to estimate the financial costs of cancer. And then the vision in this is not only then to take into account financial costs of cancer in terms of then direct treatment, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, etc. But cancer has a much more wider impact to the society. Uh, thinking of cancer as a disease, the premature death or earlier death that are caused to cancer reduces productivity. So the whole economic uh, results on that can be really large. And there's also a large burden, for example, in terms of morbidity. And then informal care, that's another other sector that is really important for cancer, especially due to then the different phases of disease that patient or someone who are then with cancer are going through. So the financial impact, integrating that then into the whole consideration of different strategies of cancer control is then becoming one of the major area of work of uh, IARC, but together, together, of course, with all its partners. I think it's an area where we probably as a health sector need to focus more attention because in my experience, Talking to a finance minister is very different talking to a health minister. Um, and we know that health ministers many, many times struggle to secure the funding required to invest in cancer treatment and care. At our Well Cancer Congress, last time we had it in Geneva, Isabel, um, one of your colleagues did a presentation about orphaned children uh, through cancer, loss of the mother, uh, which was quite a striking and emotional um number i can't recall the number exactly but it it resonated with people it suddenly became more real that these numbers that we say about people dying it became a statistic on how many children were orphaned um this is something which you know i think we need to get across in our communication about cancer it's not just the registry numbers etc it's the impact on families um is there more work being done in that by iarc yeah, so this is then the whole area of work where I'm saying financial cost is one, but then there is then the whole societal impact of cancer. And that's one work that we, are, we continue to work on. So we have now been working on the 
maternal orphans, so these are then orphans or children who lost their mothers due to cancer. And then there's one million um, uh, of such orphan mothers today. Again, there's a large inequity lens here because most of these orphan uh, children are then in low and middle income countries. From cancer, so the death of mother from cancer that are completely preventable, breast cancer and cervical cancer. So what we are trying then to do today is then trying to estimate this number for the father as well. So then trying to look into then orphan, the paternal orphan, and then at the end then trying to put that together into then one one aspect then of the societal impact of cancer. And I think it's very compelling because we can talk about the forecast numbers of number of cases and number of deaths. But if you add on that, the number of children who are left without a parent, I think that resonates with everyone. No one wants to see a child lose their mother or father. It also has a longer term impact on the on the child, right? And then at the fa- on the family as a whole, because there are studies or research that shown, for example, children who are orphaned, who lo- lost their mother or their father, has then long term in- impact, for example, in terms of educational achievement. So, which are then really important for later life of a society as a whole. We hope that some member states or countries. Uh, will be listening to this podcast, given the importance of knowing the numbers and, as you said earlier, the awareness that's needed in order to understand what should be done to address that, that growing burden around the world. Um, what's your message to governments around the world with regard to cancer care at the moment and closing that gap? Uh, what would you say are the critical things that they need to consider as we approach a, another two decades of challenge? It's difficult to summarize everything into one message of course but i think uh, coming back then to into the whole inequity lens our it's never been more clear today that our data uicc report who report a lot of different studies shows there is a gap and we know also there are tools to do this and everybody can do some things so there is then kind of clear guidance in terms of what countries can do but let's as a person as well either than working in IARC or in UICC let's try to take that one step that we can do today to reduce then the the burden of cancer um, in general. Well, Isabel, that's a a great message to end on. Um, World Cancer Day has been premised on that for three years. We will have a new campaign over the next three years coming out soon. Um, I hope that we've had an impact globally about raising awareness of the issue of inequity and calling on governments around the world to take it seriously. Uh, The advice that you provide and the information that IARC gives um, with regard to the numbers is just so important to our community. So I'd just like to say thank you to you and uh, Elizabeth and the team there. Uh, You really do a great job. So thank you very much. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Cancer. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do send us an email or message on social media if you have any questions or comments. See you next time.